0: Well, good morning. Thank you for coming out on a cold day. I know it's a little bit of a sacrifice, but we appreciate you being here. Um, If you are here for the first time or one of the first times, again, thank you for coming. I know sometimes it's hard to step into a new place. And if you're joining us online, we're glad you're here and welcome. So if you've been around, you know I have a burgeoning pickleball career. And I play at different places, and on Tuesday afternoon I go over to a Place near Northeast, and, and there's probably six or eight of us that are regulars, and there's one court, so you, four are playing, you sit down, you chat, you build a good camaraderie among people, and, and you play with and you play against and you get pretty familiar with who people are. Well, there's an older guy, you know, he's probably 10, 12 years older than me, uh, really skilled with his serve, and, and uh, when I'm on the other side of the net from him, I'll say before he serves, I say, hey, John, man, I, I don't want you to make me look bad on this serve, because he can really spin it. And I said, you know, it would help me a lot if you just put this in the net. Then I wouldn't look bad. Would John, would you be willing to do that? He just smiles. And, you know, I, he can, he can, I see him line up his serve. I know what's coming. But he spins it, and you've got to wait for it to hit. And it's kind of like I, I just sometimes miss hit or hit it badly. I, I have trouble getting a handle on that serve even though I know what's coming. You know, sometimes when we see Jesus in the Word of God, it can be a little bit like that. We have trouble getting a handle. We know what's coming. Some of us have been in church and in the Bible a while. That's great. But, some, man, sometimes it's still hard to get a handle, like, like me trying to hit that on Jesus. Why, why is that? Why sometimes do we have trouble getting a handle on Jesus? We're going to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to John 7. We're going to go verses 1 through 24, wrestling with this question. Why can't we get a handle on Jesus? Why can't we get a handle on Jesus? Well, get us up to speed. We've been in John now for several months. We understand John went into public ministry with Jesus. He's one of his disciples. And over three years, he saw stuff that made him think, man, I think this guy's the son of God. And so he said, I'm going to to record that, and, and I'm going to write a gospel, and I'm writing it for this very reason that you might come to the same conclusion I did, that Jesus is the son of God. And believing in him, you might have life. And we compare John to a, a prosecuting attorney who is seeking to prove Jesus guilty of being the son of God. And to do that, he's given us, he will give us seven signs, and we've seen five. We've seen Jesus turn water into wine. We've seen Jesus a, heal a nobleman's son. Saw so Jesus... Heal a guy, 38 years of paralytic, living on a legend that when the water stirs, the first one gets in. Jesus said, I got a better way. Why don't you take up your pallet and walk? We'll come back to that because that caused all kinds of problems because he did that on the Sabbath. But that's the third sign. Fourth, we saw this last week or two weeks ago. Big crowd out at the distance, no Uber Eats, no Hy-Vee in sight, and 20,000 people, and Jesus feeds the crowd with five loaves and two fish. And then we saw Jesus walk on the water. And so that's where we are. We're in the midst of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus showing himself to be the Son of God to those who would hear. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus is walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jerusalem, Judea, was the seat of power, and, and we're going to talk about this. Jesus had stirred things up, and the authorities were after him. So he withdraws to Galilee away from the action. I think anybody would say that the seat of power in this country is Washington, D.C. And if you're in trouble in D.C. and you want to get away, you might step away to the mountains of Montana. You're a little bit more off the radar there. Well, Jesus is in the mountains of Montana right now. In time, he'll come back to D.C. He'll come back to Jerusalem but for now he knows he's stirred a hornet's nest and so he's, he's stepping back because he's on the father's timeline and he'll give up his life when the father deems it's right. Verse 2 says, now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. In the Jewish calendar, this happens about six months after Passover. So we know that six months has passed from John 6 to John 7. The feast of booths was a celebration of the harvest of olives and grapes. It was the most popular feast, so much so that people lived on the hillside and they set up temporary booths to live in. Thus, the Feast of Booths. Uh, This feast will have a significant water and light ceremony, and we'll talk about that next week. Chapter 7 covers this whole interaction. For time, we're going to split it up into two parts. That's where we are chronologically. We're six months after the feeding of the 5,000. And there's this feast at booths. Now, uh, verse 3, therefore his brothers. Now, we know that Mary conceived uh, Jesus by the Holy Spirit coming upon her. But then she and Joseph had a number of children together. And these are Jesus' brothers. His brothers said to him, leave there, here, and go into the Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. They're saying, whoa, well, well, Jesus, there's a buzz about you, man. I mean, you've been doing some stuff. You've been healing some people. You've been feeding some people. And and, and you're pulled back, man. you got to capture the moment. you got to go, go forward. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that after the bread of life discourse, uh, Jesus had fed the 5,000 and people followed him. And, and Jesus really played on that bread and said, you must, you must take me in, eat me, in, and, and drink my flesh, drink my blood. And, and Jesus said, I mean, that's a metaphor for you. You have to consume me. You have to devour me. A lot of people pulled back. Remember, people were leaving. And Jesus said to the 12 disciples, do you want to leave too? So, I mean, Jesus, you may want to recapture some momentum here. Now, one detail about his brothers, verse 5, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, they don't believe he's the Son of God. Now, after his resurrection, they'll come to believe that. The book of Acts will record that. But right now, they don't believe that. So there's two value systems. There's two things at work here. They're living one rhythm, if you will. Jesus is living another rhythm, and, and Jesus explains that. He says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. What is that? Jesus' time is regulated by his heavenly father. His life is ordered, and it's the appointed time Jesus will die on the cross. And so he just doesn't go willy-nilly wherever. He is under the direction of the father. These guys have no no such authority in life. They they do what they want when they want it. If they see an opportunity, man, they're going to move on it. So you say, yeah, the opportunity is always right for you. Of course you'll be trying to capture the buzz. I'm not that way. Verse 7. What's that issue? The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that its deeds are evil. The world, as defined in the New Testament, really throughout the Bible, is a system that intentionally excludes God. So Jesus said, I'm God stepping into this system that wants to exclude me. Of course they hate me. And and I'm exposing the idea that you and I and we would live for ourselves as evil. It's the source of all our wrong thoughts, our wrong actions, our wrong words. I'm calling that out. And by the way, they don't like that. So I gotta be a little bit more careful. You're you're part of the world. so, So they're good with you. So he says, verse eight and nine, "'Go up to the feast yourselves. "'I do not go up to this feast, "'because my time has not yet fully come. "'Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee.'" So you guys, go on your way. I just don't come and go, but I'm directed by the Father. Transition, verse 10, "'But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, "'then he himself also went up, not publicly, "'but as if in secret.'" Jesus is keeping a low profile, why? Verse 11, so the Jews were seeking him at the feast, and were saying, "Where is he?" I mean, there, there's no hiding for Jesus. He people know about him. Look, when you heal somebody who's been a paralytic 38 years, and you feed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and you got all kinds of stuff, people know, and it's talking. Where is he? This guy's making a splash. Where? I mean, it's it's a big, it's the biggest religious celebration we got. Where is the guy? So Jesus keeps a low profile. Verses 12 and 13. There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, 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 no. On the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet, no one was speaking openly of him. Why? Fear the Jews. And when he's talking about that, it's talking about the Jewish leadership. Same crowd, got the same evidence, heard the same stories, and have come to very different conclusions. One saying he's a good man, and maybe perhaps they're on the way to saying he's the son of God, and saying, no, he's he's leading people astray. I'm wondering if you got people in your sphere of influence who've come to a different conclusion about Jesus than you have. There's a reason. And we'll get to that reason in just a minute. They see the same things you have. They have access to the same Bible you do. But they come to different conclusions. Verse 14, But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. So the Jews were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Man, he's saying significant stuff, but, but he, hasn't, he has no credential." In the Jewish system, there's a couple ways to get credentialed. You certain, you attended certain schools or synagogues, or you studied under certain notable scholars, and that gave you credibility and ability to speak. And Jesus has none of that. Uh, imagine somebody unpacking nuclear physics or quantum mechanics or going in depth on Shakespeare. You'd say, "Where'd you?" Study, where you get did you get a degree in physics? Did you get a degree in English? No, 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 no. I just where'd you get your education to do that? That's what they're asking Jesus. Man, you're 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 impressing here, but, but you don't have any credential. Jesus says, Here's my education, verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. You want to know where I got my teaching? I got it directly from God the Father. That's a pretty good credential. <laughs> That's bigger than any rabbi you might put me for any school. I, I, I mean, I, I've been in his presence from eternity past. That's why you're. That's why there's the wow factor. Wow, well, he doesn't have a degree. He doesn't. He didn't understand, study under so and so. No, no. I, I was in the presence of the Father. Do so you think people would just be, wow, you've been the Father? Well, well, then we're gonna, we're gonna listen up. We're gonna put this in practice. I mean, if you've been from eternity past with God the Father, we're, I mean, we're gonna. Are we all on board? We're going to lay this out? No. Here's why. Verse 17. If anyone is willing to do his will, that is, they're willing to do God's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak from myself. Do you see what the deciding, the divide is there? Why you might have a different conclusion? Then people around you about Jesus, if anyone is, what, willing to do my will. Look, if you or I want to do our own thing, we're not going to appreciate God showing up. Because if that person that shows up is truly God, well, pfft, I guess I have to submit my will. I'm, I'm not on board with that. And see, Jesus has been in public ministry now a while, a year and a half or two, and, and some people, are, they, they got it, other people don't. I, I don't get this guy, he's a good priest, he's this, he's that. Well, why is that? Can't get a handle on Jesus. Like, I couldn't get a handle on the serpent. Why, why is that? Because at a heart level, they're not willing to do God's will. They're set on doing their own will. See, see we ask this question, why can't we get a handle on Jesus? Here's the answer. Can't get a handle on Jesus because we're unwilling to do God's will. We'll never get a handle on Jesus till we're willing to do God's will. And if we're unwilling to do that, well, then we're not going to understand Jesus because He's going to challenge our autonomy. Look, we're, we're humanity. Really, you can't assess God's teaching on a human level. We need to see things from God's perspective. We need God's spirit. And that's exactly what happens when we come to faith. God gives us his spirit. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit. And that allows us to understand the thoughts of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so... The thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. You're not going to understand God fully until you're given God's Spirit. And that's what Jesus, when we come to faith, we receive God's Spirit and we're able to assess the thoughts of God and not. So I spent nine months in Russia. And I made... This much progress in Russian. I wasn't very good. So I'm with a friend. We're in a school. And the custodian, I determine, is Russian. So I speak about five sentences to him in Russian. And my friend goes, man, you know Russian. And I said, man, I really don't. I said, hi. I don't understand Russian. I don't speak Russian. Bye. That's about what I said. But because my friend had no Russian, he was, wow, you must be really good. If he had talked to the custodian from Russia, that guy would have said, no, 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 no. He's not very good because he spoke Russian. See, he had a basis to assess my Russian. My friend didn't. Without the Spirit of God, we're like my friend. We, we, We don't know. With the Spirit of God, we're, we're in a position to assess what is from God and what is not. And Jesus said at a heart level, if you're going to get the Spirit of God, you need to be willing to sacrifice your will to mine. Another characteristic that set Jesus apart. many uh, Jesus' day, there were a lot of itinerant speakers coming around, a lot of self-proclaimed messiahs. But Jesus said, "I got something that sets me apart here. Is verse 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. That's what these speakers did. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him." Jesus said, "I'm not pushing my own agenda. I don't do anything without the Father. That sets me apart from all these other speakers." Now Jesus has raised the question: Are you willing to do the will of God? So He's going to call these people out in verse 19. He says, "What?" Did not Moses give you the law? Well, yeah, he did. And they claimed to be disciples of Moses. And yet none of you carries out the law. You're supposed to be God followers. And you would say, yeah, the, what Moses got is the law, but you, but you don't do it. So you expose yourself as unwilling to follow God. And he says, Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Here's what Jesus is referring to. Um, back in John five, this paralytic, 38 years, um, tells him, pick up your pallet and walk, but, but but, he did it on the Sabbath, and oh, that was a stink. And so Jesus said, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I control the Sabbath. I'm at work at the Sabbath just like my father is. And, and this is the, the conclusion that is drawn. The, the, it says, for this very reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Jews is probably talking about the leadership Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Perhaps the crowd doesn't know that the Jewish authorities are seeking to kill God, and so they say, why do you say someone's seeking to kill you? Well, that's why. Because it's a fact of the matter that the leadership is. So in verse 21, back in John 7, Jesus comments on that healing of the paralytic of 38 years. He says, I did one deed, And you all marvel, you're amazed. And then he takes issue with their problem with him healing on the Sabbath. He says this, for this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the laws of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? So Jesus said, look, look, here's your problem with the Sabbath. It was meant to give you a break from your job. And you've had all these rules and all these regulations and you've made it a burden. And you just called me out because I healed a guy who'd been a paralytic 38 days. I, for 38 years I made him whole. But let me ask you this. You're born a son and, and the law says on the eighth day your son will be circumcised. What if the eighth day, eighth day comes on the Sabbath? Well, you, you circumcise on the Sabbath. Aren't you breaking the, the Sabbath? No, you're, you're, you're doing what is reasonable. You're doing what the law requires, and you're working on the Sabbath. He says, "If you allow that, why wouldn't you allow me to make a man whole on the Sabbath?" You've screwed everything God has given you. You screwed it up, including the Sabbath, because at the heart, you're not willing to do God's will. You want to do your own will. So you take something like the Sabbath and twist it and turn it so you can use it to manipulate and control others. I ain't having it. I'm going to call it out. One more thing Jesus says. Verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance. If ever there's a culture that needed to hear that, that would be our culture. But judge with righteous judgment. Judge the way God would judge. Character, the heart. They so got these people, man, and, and we see we've got a divided crowd. We've got a mixed response to Jesus, but there's a big part of the crowd that they're not getting Jesus. They can't get a handle on him. Well, why is that? Because at a heart level, they're not willing to submit their will to God's will. I'm going to do my thing my way, and nobody better interfere, let alone God. And what does that matter? Some of you have loved ones. You have family. You have friends, co-workers who are pushing back against Jesus. They're unwilling to submit to him. And God's put you in their life for a reason. But please understand, in most cases, their issue is not an intellectual issue. It's a heart issue. It's verse 17 of this passage. They are unwilling to do the will of God. So heard somebody say a long time ago, before you talk to somebody about God, talk to God about that person, that their heart might be changed. Or as a pastor, I worked a number of years in campus ministry, and I would get into intellectual debates in the dorms, and they would start to rise. I go, whoa, 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 "Let me just stop for a second. I'm going to give you two hypotheticals. I've got video of Jesus coming from the tomb. I've got a notarized statement from God saying that Jesus is His Son. If that's true, will you submit your life to Jesus as revealed in the Scripture?" And you know what the answer was every time I asked those questions? No. So I'd say to the person, "Then we don't have." An intellectual issue, it's a volitional issue, right? I I can't give you enough evidence for you to believe. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough. We we need not have an intellectual discussion because it's not an intellectual problem. Then that doesn't leave of of the responsibility of answering people's questions, but realize in most cases it's a hard issue that's keeping people from Jesus. I don't want to subject my will to someone else's will, especially God. And so the other stuff starts to come up. And certainly this has huge implications for people coming to Christ. But I would tell you, I think it has issues for us in our faith too, who've walked with God a while. There are times you and I are going to have trouble getting a handle on an issue that we just don't see it going the way we want to. And it's hard. It's hard, It's emotional. We have trouble getting a handle. Like what? Okay. So my biggest faith crisis came. um, I was two years on staff with Campus Crusade. I spent the summer of 1986 in Istanbul, Turkey. We were there eight weeks. But halfway through, they got us out uh, into the country. Overnight train ride, and they drop us off. And they said, see you tomorrow. Whoa, 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 where are you going? Well, we walked down this path. And what we found out, we're in this very rural area. And the Turks are very, very hospitable people, and we get invited in. And I spent the night with my team in a um, a hut, best I can tell, made of mud and dung. Our food was cooked over an open fire. I'm thinking, I don't think the FDA is getting out here to check this. I mean, it's really remote, people. It is really remote. And we're talking, and all of a sudden the guy turns around and clicks on the TV, and there is the Cosby Show. Dubbed in Turkish. And here's why that matters. Turkish understanding of the United States and Christianity came through TV. And shows that were big that time at that time were Dallas, Dynasty, Falcon Crest, if that's way before your time. Let me tell you, these shows were pushing the edge on morality. They were pushing the edge on promiscuity. And the Turks' understanding of the U.S. and Christianity was it was immoral. It was promiscuous. And these people needed to come to faith, faith in Islam. And in fact, that guy pulled out a Quran, started talking to us. He had 20 words of English. We had 20 words of Turkish. We didn't get very far in our discussion. But I remember thinking, this place is remote. I mean, there's a little bit of a church in Istanbul, but there ain't no church anywhere in in eastern Turkey. I mean, Islam rules. So I come back from that kind of trouble, thinking there's a billion Muslims. I'm about six weeks on the campus at CSU, Colorado State, I'm back on campus, campus. And I'm cutting through, and there's this row of tables they give student organizations. And there is a guy behind the table in the Muslim Student Association. So I stop and talk to the guy. I mean, he's from Middle East. I, I, I can't remember which country. And we strike up a conversation and a bit of a friendship. I thought, he's doing evangelism. He's doing evangelism as best he knows how by setting up a booth here. Because he's convinced these pagan Christians, and, and I thought, if I read my Bible right, Jesus is very uh, clear in that there's one way to God. I mean, I, I don't think I, it's, it's an obscure verse. I think not make that case all way. And I began to wrestle with a billion Muslims. A billion Muslims, some of them in very remote areas with no church with a skewed understanding of Christianity. How is that fair? How is that right? And it was months. You remember, vocational Christian worker wrestling with. I had to finally say, I'm going to submit my will to God, and here's what it says in the Scripture. God is, is just. God is loving. God cares about those people more than I do. I do have to go with that, though I, I, I don't fully understand it. Maybe for you it's not that issue, but it's marriage. I mean, I can't get married until I was 33. Why is this taking so long? Maybe you're in that. Maybe you're going to have to come to terms with God is sufficient. Maybe with you it's a conflict with a loved one, a child, a parent, a co-worker, and man, <laughs> the Prince of Peace, and we both claim Jesus. Why can't we get this right? It's a job. You're, I, I can't get a handle on Jesus. You're, you're my provider. Why is it like this? It's just not for those people out there. There are going to be times we're going to be challenged. That our will, even though we've walked with Jesus 5, 10, 15, 20 years or more, I don't get this one. I'm going to have to submit to you. If I'm ever going to get a handle on Jesus in this situation. That we, as we, as the Holy Spirit reveals areas in our lives and specific things, we would submit to Christ as He reveals Himself in His Word. As a graduate student, I was a teaching assistant. And my first semester, um, I had one non traditional student. His name was V. He was career military. Um, And he told me on the front end, Andy, I'm new, this computer stuff, I I was a TA in Fortran. this computer stuff's really uh, foreign to me, so you're going to be seeing me a lot. And V was right, I saw him a lot. He was a frequent flyer with me. And as such, I got to know him and got to know his story, and it was one of the most enjoyable parts of that semester. I found out he was a platoon sergeant in Vietnam, and he told me all about his experiences there. And along the way, he told me he lost one soldier he was there. And he said, it killed me. Uh, if I could, I'd stand in front of that guy. And what happened is they came under sniper fire. I said, Andy, we came under sniper fire all the time. First rule of sniper fire is you get down. But the new recruits, they freeze, and they start looking around. That's a bad thing to do, and shot and killed. So that was early in my time. So from then on, anytime I got a new recruit, it's like you, you stay with me. You want to go home alive? Yeah, you stay with me. And you do everything I say. And he said, you know, I just got used to it. First time we come under Sniper Fire, my first move was to yank him down. Get down. You want life? Jesus says, you stay with me. You submit yourself to me. You follow me. I'll give you fullness of life. That doesn't fly. In America, the land of the what? Land of the free, right? No one tells us what to do. Jesus said, I want to tell you what to do. I need you to submit, to you. I need you to be willing to do my will. That you might know the fullness of life. Why can't we get a handle on Jesus? Because we're unwilling to do God's will. The flip side is we'll get a handle on Jesus to the degree we're willing to do God's will.